Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the White Tail Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by our Canuck beat writer, Ben Kuzman, our columnist, Ed Willis. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, Paul. Good, good day. Yeah. Uh, I will give you a reminder to subscribe to our White Tail Podcast through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating if you like it. Send us suggestions. Uh, you can also catch our videos on our website, theprovince.com, VancouverSun.com. Check out our social channels on Facebook as well, where you will get all this great stuff. Uh, guys, I don't know where to start. Um, I guess we have to start with this train that the Canucks are on with scoring so many goals and everyone waiting for them to come back down to earth as we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, I throw it open to both of you. What's, what's behind this? Why is this? Why is this year looking different than other years? Well, it's a product of the way they play and with the pace and, and their penchant for forechecking, turning pucks over, making things happen. You'd, but, you know, it, it's come to a point, Paul, and, and you bring up a great point about this train and, and whether it's going to derail or not. And because we're getting older, I, I needed to write some things down, okay? <laughs> I, I'm, and, Ed, you can relate. <laughs> I, I just want to give people an, a bit of an idea of what's going on here. The Canucks are the 10th team since 89-90 to score at least – 28 goals in their first five home games. First team to do that was the, the Nords in 8990. Uh, the last was the Bolts in 2012-2013. So that's significant. The Canucks are the fourth team in the last 30 years to manage uh, five goal periods, uh, multiple five goal periods, and that hasn't happened since the uh, 2011 team. And of course, uh, five or more uh, goals in three straight games. We haven't seen that since they chased the Cup. So it's, it's, it's amazing to me that when you look at goal differential in the NHL right now, the Canucks are right at the top. They're the fourth team in offense. We remember them to be 26, 26, 28, pick a number. Uh, so here we are today. A lot of it's predicated on the way the game's going. But, I, again, I'll go back to the thing that it's amazing how this team thinks it's getting its offense because they're so hard to play against in the offensive zone. That research is unbelievable. Is we, have, we have to charge extra great? for that. We, do. we have to charge extra is that for great? that. Don't, don't so we, we, isn't we, there a special category people would have to subscribe to, that's to get why, that? I think he gave it away too cheap. That's why we brought I'm in really a third mic. <laughs> I'm putting it on my expenses, okay? I really do. Hello. Gotcha. You know, it, it's almost disorienting. I don't know how you feel about it, Ben, but it, it, it is, and you have to kind of like, you're just kind of used to having that bitch factor in, in your writing, and because that, that's been the case over the last three, four years. Or you felt like, oh, God, I'm forcing this, you know, because somebody had a decent week or somebody had a mm -hmm. bit of promise. But there's just so many positive stories. Every time you walk into that locker room, you could go, you, you could do one on Jordy Ben, their sixth defenseman. He's been exactly yeah. what the doctor ordered. Um, just up and down the lineup. So, yeah, a, a, and, you know, you just hope. You just hope because there's always that there's that little voice in the back of your mind. We've seen this movie before. They've gotten off to good starts in years past. What's different this time? I think everybody knows they're a better team. But are they good enough to sustain this into February, into March, into the first week in April? Ed, I wanted to ask you specifically about ownership because that's been, when we've done podcasts over the last few years, especially since this team collapsed after the cup run, um, it's not just that they're winning. It's that they're scoring these goals. I mean, you you could implement a, a Dallas Stars type system where you're trapping and you're getting results and you're you're you know you're winning games two one or or one nothing. But 
the ownership that we know how much they pay attention to the bells and whistles on this team, they have to be thrilled with the way this team's playing as well as not just getting points. It's astonishing to me how much the conversations change around this team in the space of one off season, and that goes from the GM Jim Benning to his assistant John Weisbrot to, to ownership because they were all kind of on notice. They were treading on thin ice. I mean, they've, they gassed, you know, resident icon Trevor Linden because he didn't think they were near ready to make this step, but, but here they are. So, I mean, you've got to, you, at the end of the day, they've got scoreboard. You have to tip your hat to them a, a, and acknowledge that they have really, in the short term, turned this franchise around and made it an exciting, entertaining, put-on-a-product for fans to embrace. And Ed talks about, you know, sustainability, Paul, which I think is really important here. I mean, what usually happens in November, this team crashes on the road because they'll have that invariable five or six game road trip. Uh, I didn't have Tyler Mott in my injury pool, so we know he's <laughs> out with the, with the foot hairline fracture. But, but that's the thing. I mean, they've checked all the boxes. Great goaltending. Nobody's hurt. Balanced scoring, like you said, Ed, we're not looking at that one line. What's Pedersen's line going to do tonight? Mm -hmm. If they don't do anything, they're screwed. Well, what about the Horvat line? And that crazy fourth line that's been able to, to match up. I, I think Travis Green had the greatest line about the fourth line. He says, I don't have to hide them. Because yep. usually it's four versus four. And I know on the last road trip in Detroit, and, of course, home team having last change, they wanted the Larkins line out there against Beagle's line, and they just ate them up. Mm -hmm. They just ate them up, and they relished that. And, of course, we talked earlier about Tim Schaller having four goals in three games. He's already equaled last year. So, um, like you said, there's a certain buzz about this team. And, you know, it was right from the get-go in training camp. The off-season acquisitions were legit. Uh, there was some symmetry uh, through the lines, and the back end needed a remake. That more than you could do at Ikea and fix that mess. So here we are today, a team that, knock on wood, hasn't had a serious injury to one of its premier players uh, and is getting great goaltending. And um, I'm just anxious to see uh, there's a big road trip coming out east uh, in later in November, and I think that's going to be the litmus test to see how they reset at U.S. Thanksgiving. Ed, I'll ask you about the offseason acquisitions because, uh, I mean, the wailing and gnashing of teeth over how much they paid for Tyler Myers, and there were a huge segment of fans didn't want this guy. They are overpaying for him. Um, giving up a first-round pick for Miller, that's, you know, people, you, you talk about the reset, and going into the season, people were exasperated at Jim Benning and the job he'd done. But really, it has. You know, Ben mentioned uh, Jordy Ben. And you just look at all the offseason acquisitions and you go, they are all fitting seamlessly, which has been the most important move for you. I, I, I'm not sure if you can pick one piece out. If you've held a gun to my head, I'd say JT Miller because he's given them a presence on the first line that they've been lacking. And having said that, him and Myers hit the tape at about the same place. I didn't mind, I don't know about you, Ben, but I, I didn't mind the Myers contract. You overpay for those yeah. guys in UFA. He's probably technically not a $6 million defenseman, maybe 5-5, five, five, something like that. But I, I, I didn't go, I didn't go, oh, man, they got fleeced on that one. They got yeah, an able body who would fit into their top four. Now, he's been a little more than that. He's been. He's given them, to me, a top-end pairing uh, w w with Adler. And, you know, picking up on what Ben said, I still think, you know, when I, when I was looking at the start of the year and kind of, uh, to me, the, the sort of top three things that had to happen for this team was, one, the goaltending had to held up. I thought the second most important thing was, can Chris Tanev and Alex Adler stay healthy? Can they get 70 games? 
not together, but out of both of them. And then the third thing is how, how fast these young guys are, are going to develop. And, and that's where we are now. I mean, everything is kind of unspooling perfectly in the Canucks world. Uh, and, and you're right. There, there's going to come a moment where it's going to be tested, where they'll run into it, where Chris Tanev will block a slap shot, where something funny will happen. And that's when we'll find out, you know, re- re- really uh, the, the level of substance in this team. Isn't it interesting, though, because don't you think the Jets would want to do over now with Truba going to the Rangers, Buffalo unsure whether he's going to play. Suddenly it's a tire fire in their back end. they got Myers at market value. And I think uh, that's really imperative. And, you know, the interesting thing about Miller, I give the organization credit for doing its homework. I mean, he was stuck on the third line in Tampa. He wasn't getting. He scored 13 goals. He wasn't going to get a lot of ice time. Um, they had ca- a cap crunch situation. They had to move him. They had to pay point, give him the, the money. But he did have a pair of back-to-back 22 goal years with the Rangers. He's played for AV. He's played for Torts. He's been through, as they say, some stuff. So, I was impressed, just like you said, Ed, how hard he plays. I mean, he says, "Yeah, I skate pretty good for a 215-pound guy because he's he's wide. He's thick. You see that in the room." And he's given them something that that line was missing. Furland, the whole Furland situation was miscast from the get-go. I thought when they made the trade for Miller, he was going to play with Pedersen. To say Furland was going to play with Pedersen and Besser, suddenly you're asking a guy who scored 21 goals a couple of years ago to kind of tailor his game where he's, he has to maintain pace with those guys. Having said that, though, last game, Furland setting up two goals, primary assists, looking like he c- can be a fed. And right now, he is a third-line player on this team. He needs to be good in transition. But Miller, man, he's a better player than I thought he was. Yeah, 100%. You guys have both talked about, like, okay, we know what's coming, the injuries, things are going to get rocky for the Canucks here. But isn't part of the story for this team this year also that if you look at their Utica, everyone is talking about how dominant this team is and the fact that you have legit NHLers who can come up. I know Goldobin is one of those names that just draws such different reactions from Canuck fans. Um, But... Overall, if you look at if something bad does happen to this team uh, on the injury front, they have options, which they haven't had for, I don't know, five, six years. Yeah, and, and options that they, they, they can be sustained over the short term. Now, if you lose your number one center, your top pairing defensive guy for 30 games, that's going to make an impact. But you look at the options available to them. If a winger goes down, they bring Sven Perci up, who's, you know, looks for most of his career has been about a 20-goal scorer. They are thereabouts, a 15, 20-goal scorer. That, that, that's a pretty good option. Uh, Cole Lind is over po- a point a game there. So, you know, we're getting some good news on the prospect front, too, after, after you know, it, most people viewed last season as a lost season and, uh, for, for Lind. Uh, Ole Olevi is down there kind of, you know, developing at his own pace. And, you know, I, I fully expect him to play games in the, in the NHL this season. So, again, coming back to the job Benning did in the offseason, it's kind of the ripple effect of the, uh, of the moves he made at the NHL level. But, but there is depth in the organization now that we haven't seen in a long time here. Yeah, it's suddenly it's not not to take anything away from him, but it's not recalling Zach McEwen when somebody gets hurt. And I, I think it's a win-win situation for the Canucks because, let's be honest, right now Berchi and Goldobin are not going to play in your top six. But they're off to this great start, goal lead player of the week in the American Hockey League. Some other teams may think, you know what, maybe we can flip them a draft pick and, and take a run at these guys. Because I, I think... Goldie is what he is. 
you know, he's kind of the Reed Boucher. Uh, he plays well in the American League, and, and something's amiss at this level. And quite frankly, we know Berchi's situation. He's one more big hit away from, and and he'd be a third line guy on this team right now. So I think uh, two great things. Yes, you're right. When they have to recall a guy, it's a legit guy who can play at this level, or somebody's thinking, you know what? Maybe look at that guy playing well with Utica. Maybe we should take a chance. Maybe we'll flip the Canucks a draft pick. So uh, I think it works on both levels. Um, when you guys have both referenced also the uh, the young players and. And we know that that's where the – if this team is to ever truly contend for a cup, it's going to be on the backs of those guys that they've, they've had high draft picks with. But it struck me this season that Quinn Hughes has fit in so well without being the story, right? When Besser came in, it was like that's all we talked about for years, MVP of the All-Star game, and then he gets hurt. And then Pedersen last year, we knew what happened. It was like everyone was just in love with Elias Pedersen. This year, Quinn Hughes is playing exceptionally well, but there are all these other storylines, so there's not so much focus on him. Does that matter? I, I just think it's a th- we've been hearing about Quinn Hughes forever, even before they drafted him. You know, this kid with the national program, this kid at the University of Michigan, a kid that uh, Jeff Tambellini labeled Bobby Orr-like. With, with some, so I just think when he came to this level and we saw it, it was almost like, okay, you know, we've seen it on the clips, and now we're seeing it uh, in, in person. And I, I think a, a great spinoff of that talking about Chris Tanev. Uh, two things at play. Chris Tanev was a mad scientist who lengthened his shin pads because if there was a puck that was going to hit the part of the body where there was no protection, it was going to hit Chris Tanev. So Chris Tanev, the training staff, and some, as they say, outside sources have constructed these shin pads that are covering more of his leg, which is great. But the second part, the more interesting part that plays into Quinn Hughes, he's not spending as much time in his own zone. You know, Hughes has the puck and he's gone. And I give... Chris Tanev credit. You can't just throw the kid the puck and stand there. You have to be able to maintain some sort of pace with him. Again, like Paul said, there's these other underlying stories. Hughes is a great one, but Chris Tanev, knock on wood, is a pretty good one too. Well, just to sort of take out the wide angle lens on that point, like remember when they got Louis Erickson? Like he was the shiny new toy. We got this 30 goal score, and he's going to help turn this franchise around. Well, it didn't work out, and now you know people. Are you sure about that? There's still time. Still a couple years left on that contract. That's a little thing, really well. And 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 there was a little bit of a a ripple when Furlan gone off to a slow start, but but like who cares? They were winning. It was just kind of like it it, it was talk radio talk. That's really all it is, you know. Canucks fans need something to fret about, and then Furlan supplied that for for about two weeks. But but I think that's the other part of this is is is. you can't really pick out one guy or two guys and, and say, boy, their whole season revolves around whether or not this guy can get it done. There's kind of a, you know, there, there, there's kind of a collective there now, which seems meaningful and, and, and I, I, I think can withstand the rigors of, of the 82-game schedule, which is always the bottom line of, of an NHL team. With the Canucks, we just haven't seen it because there's so many young players, right? So we don't know. If Pedersen can do this over 82 games, if Hughes can do it over 82 games, if Besser can be as much of a factor in the games that matter in March and April as he is in the games in October and November, and that's what, that's what I'm really excited to find out about this team. If we were if they were struggling right now, we'd be talking about Bo Horvat playing 15 minutes yeah. against the Florida Panthers instead of 20. What's going on here? How come that's the captain? Why is he only? It's not a big deal. He doesn't kill penalties. They didn't have a lot of power play time last game. But 15 minutes for a guy who's accustomed to playing 19 to 20, who played 24 earlier in this year in the game in Jersey, that would be a story right now. But it's not a story because of depth, 
it's not like why why is Horvat playing between those two? They, well, you know, what's going on with Horvat? We're not worried about that, and that that's a talent, and b that's depth. So I mean, aside from us debating, you know, who's going to be left out uh, in the Hart uh, Trophy finalists, seeing as we've anointed this team one of the ten greatest in the history of hockey already. Uh, injuries aside, where do you see the pitfalls for this team? What do they still have to improve on, and what could be their downfall? Do you think moving forward? I, uh, for for me, it's it, it's the young kids. It's it, it's uh, is Elias Patterson at twenty one ready to lead this team into the playoffs? Is Brock Besser really an elite goal scorer? Can Quinn Hughes it, it, will he be a Calder Trophy? finalist uh, that's asking a lot like like Hughes I think just turned 20 right uh Patterson is 21 Vesser 22 they're really at the embryonic stages of their career we don't know what they're going to be when they're fully formed but right here right now they've got to go a long way towards driving the engine now they've got some help and we've referenced all the help they have but uh, a lot of it still comes down to how well they perform and that to me that's an unknown and it's interesting too. Now with the having Miller able to take draws, mm-hmm. Pedersen's now taking faceoffs, and you can read what you want into that. But I think it's significant. It's another part of his game he doesn't have to worry about. And Ed brings up a great point. And we talked to Pedersen at the end of last year. He was gassed. He admitted it. And the last road trip, the three and four games that ended in Madison Square Garden, Quinn Hughes admitted he was gassed. He's not accustomed to playing that kind of a schedule. College, it's weekend games, and you practice all week. But the way, the, was, World Juniors yeah, and the, way he, and the way he was able to rebound, though, right after that, uh, Hughes really impressed me. It's a legitimate concern. Guys are not accustomed to playing uh, 82 games and, and a lot of tough road trips. But um, I, I think they learned from it. Uh, again, getting back to Pedersen, the fact that I just think he's made the adjustments now, taking pucks at speed through the neutral zone. And you see him. He's, he's thicker. He's thicker in the neck and the shoulders, and he's able to uh, stand his ground better when he does have the puck. So... Uh, but I think it's a legitimate concern. How will the young guys stand up? Because we know how hard it is to play uh, in the second half of the season. If you look at those, uh, the, the President's Trophy winning teams, it, I think that not only were they blessed with having so much top-end talent, uh, led by the Sedins, obviously, but um, there was a certain chemistry with that team that they all seemed to get along. Are you seeing that a little bit? I know it's it's easy to read so much into Instagram posts of them in their Halloween costumes, but there does seem to be almost like a boy band element to this young group that all seem to get along well and like to be around each other. I, I, I think one of the things, and I actually I, 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 did, I, I did like about this much level of research, and I, I know this is a podcast, and you <laughs> can't see me holding my fingers about and half an inch apart, but I was curious to see the number of Canucks draft picks um, compared to other other teams, and I didn't really get out of their division. Okay, the point I'm going to make here, if it kills me, is the number of players that have been drafted and developed within the organization and the de- degree to which they form a lot of the identity of this team. So we're talking now, now we're talking about Patterson, we're talking about Hughes, we're talking about Besser, we're talking about... Uh, Jacob Markstrom is largely a Canuck. I know he was drafted by Florida, but he's now been in this organization for how many, uh, you know, six years, whatever it is. Uh, Edler is a Canuck. Tanev is a Canuck. So there is, I think there is something there. And I remember something Jim Devolano told me a million years ago. And he said, he said, it's just different when you draft and develop your own guys. It's a different feel in the organization. 
and it kind of permeates right down through the locker room, but also like, like the head office, the coaches, everybody feels like they're a part of it. Everybody feels like they've got some ownership in it, and I, and I think the Canucks are kind of there right now. The best thing to happen to Le- Elias Patterson is his friendship with Brock Besser. I mean, they're inseparable. And really, if you think about it, you're, you're a Swedish kid. You come to a, a country. You're, you're grasping the language better. But, you know, opening a bank account, uh, renting a place, I mean, Besser kind of took him out of his wing. And it's not just that part. They're not just line mates. They're real good friends. Yep. You see them on the road. They're inseparable. They always go for dinner. They're comparable in age, but uh, I, I think that's a really important part. And you bring up a great point, Ed, about the fact that they are, you know, draft choices. But there, there, there's a feeling in the in the room. Um, you know, you get the Walmart greeter and Jay Beagle. Uh, he'll greet you at the door and talk for 47 minutes on game day about his experiences with the Stanley Cup he, champ he was unbelievable in Washington yesterday. Unbelievable. He might still be talking. He could be. St- uh, well, yeah, uh, you, you need fresh batteries in your recorder when you talk to Beagle. But there is that kind of sense in the room that you know. Horvat may be the captain, but there are a number of leaders in that room. Uh, there's an interesting new wave of younger guys who are very mature for their age. And a lot of that you know, even comes back to Horvat right from day one, how accountable and amiable and respectful he was of everybody. So uh, I've been in that room a lot, and uh, I think the vibe in there is as good as it's ever been. I, again, you got to walk before you can run, but if the, with this being the 50th season, we're doing a lot of revisiting over – over the Canucks history and and people don't just want a good team they want a cup right they, this is you saw St. Louis last year get over the hump so this team has to make the playoffs first and we have to see progress over a whole year but you know everything we are talking about is pointing the right way when you look at teams like Calgary and Tampa that had great regular seasons but got absolutely sandbagged in the playoffs how is this team beat to really com- built to really compete for a championship like what what else do you think they have to look to add to this team you you talk about this great mix of youth and skill and veteran leadership and they got four lines but is there anywhere that you think this team really needs to still add pieces to legitimately contend for Stanley Cup in two or three years teams still need that sandpaper element and it's not really it's got nothing to do with toughness it's just kind of that sort of grit factor the ability to grow a legitimate playoff beard I think these are all factors, and I think St. Louis underscored that last year with the team they had and the players they have. Uh, I know the game is trending in a different way, but uh, the game hasn't evolved that much where you don't need that, that element on, y- on your team, and you still have to be able to play it. When, when you have to play a heavy game, you have to play an heavy game. It, when, you ha- when you have to show some toughness, you have to show some toughness. You have to be able to play it all, all different ways, and and, uh, and that usually requires an element of maturity that this team might be lacking right now. That's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head. You need the skill level to get you through the regular season. I mean, the game has trended that way. It's, it's fast. It's skilled. But the irony, it's the only professional league where the game changes dramatic, dramatically in the postseason. So what did the St. Louis Blues do last year? The previous season, they missed the playoffs by one point. They got O'Reilly. They got Perron. They got Bozak. They got guys who were hard to play against because they already had the skill level. The Canucks will eventually get to a point where they do have the skill level to get to the postseason, but to take that next big step, that's where you have to to maybe add a certain element because uh, there's no sport in the postseason like the NHL where you touch the puck, you're on your ass, and they don't call anything. And it, it's, it's, it's a real tricky process. And the Blues handled it really well because they had the skill and they added the right guy. Well, don't Ben and Furland somewhat yeah. 
They add should. Some of that. That's why they got him. That's exa- That's a great point, Paul. That's uh, that's exactly it. I mean, Travis Green says, you know, uh, Thurland's going to be a very important guy for us. And it's not just the tough matchups against tough teams during the regular season. If we get there, we need that crazy Thurland from 2015 to be driving the other team crazy and be productive as well. And Miller's another guy that can play it uh, any, any way you want. And, and you know, we, we've talked about him, and, and, and he is impressive. He is, and, and he's, he, he's an interesting cat. Like, I mean, you look at him and you think, geez, he's got to be late 20s, early 30s. Well, he just turned 26. Uh, and so he's got a bit of a presence in that room because it's such a younger team, but it's not like he's, like, one of the old guys. So I think you know, that's why it's such a good fit. Uh, Patterson and 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 Batcher can defer to him, and I think they do just because of his uh, the experience factor and some of the things he he's been through. Uh, but it's not like he's like you know occupies a different world than they do. So I you know I think I think there's a like like, like that there's compatibility there, and I think you know I think it's reflected in in, in the chemistry that line shown. He's so got far. some bite too. He's got yeah, a little he does. Bit. He has no, a he little. Can do, he can do it. Play he's got a little lot. bit of Bertuzzi. I'm not the bad Bertuzzi, but he's got a little bit of bird in him. He's got a little bit of bite. Um, oh man, there's a number of ways I could take <laughs> that. Uh, but one thing I wanted to ask both of you about was uh, the coach. So even last year when the team was having some success, you know, I, I've just seen Travis Green as a guy. You look at the, his interactions with the media. You look at the way he responds to certain questions. I didn't think this was a guy who would foster a team. Ben, you talked about it off the top, about the system they're playing and the pressure that they put on. I thought this was a guy who would rather win games 2-1 than than be scoring five and seven goals. What have you seen in the coach now that he has these new ingredients of playing a little bit more of an aggressive style? I like a coach that sees what he has and then tries to tailor a system to benefit it. It's one thing to say, let's play hard. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers are winning because what are they playing? They're playing Dave Tippett hockey. I mean, yeah, they'll have their outbursts, but basically they've got four guys who can score. The Oilers and the rest of it is one-goal games. Um, I think, to Travis's credit, having been a player who somehow played 970 games in the NHL and played at every conceivable level, understands that at some point you have to take a hard look at what you have and you tailor your players to a system or do you take a system and force it on your players? I, I like the fact that when you talk to guys on the team, they know they have the green light to go as long as they're responsible. Jake Vertanen has only been on the ice for three even goals against this year. That's amazing to me. And and that is, I mean, if there's a capital project, it's always been Jake Vertanen. And maybe that's uh, the culmination of what Travis has tried to get through to him, uh, the pace he's playing at now in the Horvat line, and a coach understanding that this guy can skate. He's got the tools. Sometimes we don't know if he's got a toolbox, but he can hit like there's no tomorrow. He can skate and get to the net. And to, to take all those elements and put them with guys who, who can complement him and he can complement them, I think that's a credit to the coach to say, i got to put my players in the right positions to succeed as opposed to just nailing them into a system. Ed, if you look at this coach, um, I mean, again, the NHL is famous for firing coaches too quickly and they, 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 they swing back and forth. Of, well, we want a guy who's had success and he's a, a young, smart coach or we want a guy who's been had experience. It seems like there's no blueprint but how much has Travis Green been learning on the job with this team? Because he seems to have really grown into it with this group. Well, I think that point I made about this, you know, having like a real Canucks feel to it, like with Canucks players. And, and, and I think Travis Green belongs in that conversation. Uh, four years in the organization in Utica, now in his third year as the coach. I don't ever want to say a coach got a free pass. 
because it's professional hockey and there's always pressure to win. But the first two years, there was ki always kind of a presumption. He, he got the most he could out of that lineup, and no reasonable person could have expected more. But now we're seeing him with, you know, like real options, real options, and, and, and uh, a lineup that's flexible and he can use in multiple different ways. And I know we <laughs> have to keep reminding yourself we're talking about 11 games here, yeah. not, not 60. But, but he, he, he seems to, again, be drawing the most out of it. And you can tell by the way they, they play. There is a script there. And everybody is bought into it because I, I, I don't see much Benji I don't see much I don't see much deviation from the way they play from night to night. Sometimes it doesn't always work, but I think the game plan is always the same from night to night. And I you know, to be honest, I mean you're right, the bloom is off the rose in terms of okay, this is a guy that was going to be the head coach here eventually. Uh, in year three, they better be playing meaningful games in early April. I mean the, whether they make the playoffs or not, I, I don't think it's critical uh, for Travis's tenure. But I think the organization is at a point now where they have enough young guys who need to experience the postseason. Even if they get punted in the first round, they, they can't keep talking about it. They've got to get there. I mean, Horvat was fortunate enough to do it in his first year. They've got to get there. And I think the optics of uh, one and out don't matter as much as taking that next step as an organization, and now is the time. So we'll finish up here. Um, we are one month away, gentlemen, from the vaunted U.S. Thanksgiving benchmark. Ah. What are we talking about with this team in a month? Well, I, I, it, like Ben said, you know, they've got that big Eastern road trip, and that, that always seems to have been something of a tipping point in Canucks seasons past. It's where the injuries start to accumulate. It's where the games start getting a little tougher. It's where their lack of depth has started to show. So th th that, that, that'll be the first great test. But the thing is, when you're going to occupy the territory the Canucks have set out for themselves, it never ends. You just and, and I don't see, like, in the Western Conference this year where they can afford a five, six-game losing streak and expect to still be relevant in the playoff picture. I, you just gotta, you've got to avoid those, those huge troughs. Uh, and, and hopefully you hit some peaks along the way, but 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 that's that's the one I'll, I'll be looking for to how they respond to that, those series of games. February second last year in Denver, they win a big game. They're in a playoff position, and then the injuries hit. There was the Edler situation in Philadelphia with the with the, the facial injury. Demko gets hurt in the warm up. Berchi suddenly have concussion like symptoms again. Uh, at the U.S. Thanksgiving, I think they're going to be, I'll say they're in the third position in the Pacific Division. I'll say it's going to be Vegas, Calgary, and I think the Canucks will come out of that. It, but how they respond after that, I think they played some of their best hockey on the road. So uh, I'll give them third spot in the division coming out of that tough Eastern trip because I think it's going to be the litmus test, and I think they really respond well to challengers on the road. Okay, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks to uh, both Ben and Ed for joining us this week with their expertise. You can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts. Check out our videos, thevancouversun.com, theprovince.com. Thanks to our producer, Juanita Ng, and we will be back with you next week. Thanks, everyone.